Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcasts. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm here with Matt Thanks, and Ben. Hello. Thanks How for welcoming doing? me back. You know, I, you're actually going to be here like in two different ways today on this podcast. Oh, that's right. I'm here right you're now here. as a co-host as, yes. uh, introducing this podcast. And then I get to be a guest on the podcast. I Oh, it was so fun. It's going to be great. Long time host, first time guest. You know. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, you guys, this is coming out on March 1st. Mm-hmm. And March March is a big month. First of yeah. all, um, well, okay. I'm an event person. Yeah. So You're every, always thinking about the next event. Always. Uh, yeah. Like the next holiday. Okay. Um, so St. Patrick's Day is coming up this month, March 17th. <laughs> okay. In case okay. you want to do something like, you know, wear green. And we're having uh-huh. a St. Patrick's Day neighborhood 5K. It's like free. <laughs> I invite all my neighbors and my, my people and they come over to my house and they wear crazy green and we run a 5K like in the neighborhood. <laughs> and then I give them cinnamon rolls with green frosting. Wait a second. It's so fun. Wait. wait. I, I already know the answer to this question, but I have to ask it, I think, for our listeners' sake. Uh-huh. This neighborhood 5K isn't something that happens that you put cinnamon rolls next to. This is... This is the Penley 5K. Like you, you it all organize this whole thing. You've organized your own 5K. Yes. 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 We do. <laughs> oh, I knew it. This is it. awesome. This is. This is like I. I love uh, your mind, Christy. Is this enigma to me? No, it, because she... I just don't think like this. Like I'm like last minute. We've got people coming over tonight. And I'm like. What are we doing again? Like, what's happening? Like, I it's always like last minute. The the kinds of stuff that's foregrounded for you is never in the foreground of my mind. I so love it. Christy this is, so cool. is a perfect mashup. Uh, uh-huh. Like, f- if Jen Hatmaker became a cruise ship social director, that <laughs> is Christy Penley. All right. Wow. Okay. All right. I think Jen and I need to hang out now and go on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> and go on a cruise. I mean, I, I mean that is like. Out. I, that is oh, that is the I don't know big high highest praise in my mind. <laughs> yeah. um, well, well, no wonder no wonder you're thinking about St. Patrick's Day already. You've got this big 5K plan. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, I know. Sprinkles. I mean, it's gonna be fun. Um, yeah. Um, but before St. Patrick's Day, uh-huh. um, today the day it's released is Fat Tuesday. That's right. It, which means tomorrow is mm. Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent, which beginning is a big deal. Um, <laughs> It is yeah. a big deal. Do you guys have yeah. an Ash Wednesday service at your church? Oh yeah, yeah, we will this year. Okay. Um, yeah, our new the new space we're meeting in, um, we kind of have the the run of the place. We can meet there whenever <laughs> we like, uh, which is really great. That's um, great. And uh, so yeah, we're planning imposition of ashes and Eucharist on uh, yeah. on Wednesday night. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Can I mention? Yeah. Can I mention um, not to besmirch Ash Wednesday or Fat Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can I mention what I like to do, what my tradition is to do on uh, St. Patrick's on Day? St. Patrick's Day? Sure. Oh, yeah. Please tell I us. I do not run a 5K. Okay. <laughs> I do not make cupcakes. 
mm-hmm. but I've got a pair of green golf pants with white shamrocks. I've got I'm a pair of these. green shoes with gold mm-hmm. shamrocks. Yeah. I've got a gold fanny pack with rainbow suspenders. Oh my goodness. Right, Ben? Yeah, speaking of cruise ship director here. Can you please take a here. picture? <laughs> I've got a green leprechaun hat. It could be hat. in the notes of this. Like, we just need to see you. And I uh, like yeah. to dress up on St. Patrick's Day and yeah. in a foolish, a foolish outfit. Uh-huh. And I like to gallivant around my community. Like a... Looking people directly in the like eye. A, like a leprechaun. Oh, man. You guys, do you know, you know what else I do on St. Patrick's Day is that <laughs> I let my kids eat Lucky Charms. Which is kind of a big deal, except for that the other day in the grocery store, my kids are with me and they're like, Mom, look, St. Patrick's Day cereal is out already. (laughs) (laughs) And I just played it off. Yeah, crazy. They are just on top of it. They are really on top of it. That's so good. Wait until they grow up and find out. They're going to find out Santa's not real. (laughs) They're going to find out Lucky Charms are available year round. Anyway. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, Mom, St. Patrick's Day cereal's out in 30 years will be, <sighs> yeah, Doc, I don't know. When I found out my mom lied to me about breakfast cereal, it was this great unraveling. I had unraveling. no idea. Oh, man. That's funny, Christy. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. We, I was looking at my calendar when you guys started talking about St. Patrick's Day, and I don't have anything planned ever for St. Patrick's Day. It's just not something I think about. However, I just bought tickets for um, our girls, our, our high school girls are part of the props team, for the, the high school musical. And uh, do you guys? And we're going that evening. That's uh, the first evening that oh. they're showing the, the musical. Do you guys know what the musical is this year for uh, my daughter's high school? Um, is it High School Musical? Oh, that would be fun, but no. <laughs> the Rocky okay. Horror Picture Show? No, it's not. Okay. Oh my goodness. All right. You guys just, get two more, one more guess each. Go ahead, Christy. Uh, oh, man. What, is, what else? Um, I, I don't know. Beauty you and the Beast? You probably won't guess it. The reason I'm asking you to guess is because you won't. Okay, okay. tell us. Matt, you got one more guess. Porgy and Bess. No. It's uh, SpongeBob the Musical. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, it is. It's but apparently it's a pretty good musical. So I'm looking. I've I've never heard of that. Um, but I was like, I loved watching SpongeBob actually when my kids were younger. It's incredible. It's it actually kind of a funny show. So that is funny. So, yeah. Oh man. Well, so that's anyway, lots of the fun that's, things. those are my plans for St. Patrick's yeah. Day. All right. Watch SpongeBob the Musical, and then right after that, I'm driving to Missouri to do an Enneagram transformation workshop. Mm-hmm. which you can find a link to in the show notes. You're welcome to come to that if you're in the area. And y'all are flying to New York City, yeah. Roosevelt Island, to participate in a conference. Yes, half the church. Half the church. Half the church. Half yep. the church. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be great. So if you guys are in those areas and want to come be a part of that, we would welcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be fun. Yeah. Come, yeah. come say hello. Yes, Yes, we'll put so. links to the registration uh, pages in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben, we want to hear your five things. <sighs> okay. And uh, so we need to dive in and and uh, listen to what are the five things that you've learned in the last 20 years of ministry? Okay, let's do it. Giddy up. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm joined by Christy Penley, and today our guest is none other than yours truly, Ben Sternke. Ben is co-founder of Gravity. He's a co-pastor at the table with me, and he also is a father of four children, one dog. He's been married a while. He likes to read books, enjoys working out occasionally, at least twice a month. Sometimes cooks. He likes to use salt and oil and heat to make delicious food. And at one mm-hmm. time, he considered buying European swim trunks for a family vacation, but he got outvoted five to nothing. Ben, anything else <laughs> we need to know about you? Yeah, that, that's pretty accurate and pretty, you know, right from right off the top of your head. So I, I can <laughs> tell you're, you're at least a, a B-plus friend. So. I just read this off the back of our. Uh, this is the this is the bio I submitted to you to InterVarsity for our forthcoming book. Oh right, yeah. Uh, yes. So I think they're going to run with it. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> I haven't I haven't told you the bio I submitted for you, so that would have been awesome just, if we would have submitted each other's bios. Yeah, that yeah, would have been great. Would have been fun. Um, well, we we are doing our five things we've learned in um, mm-hmm. twenty plus mm-hmm. years of ministry, or however long we've been in ministry. And I think uh, I went first, and uh, Christy, we've discussed yours a bit, and now mm-hmm. Ben, yep. it's your turn. My turn. And so you're our guest today, so we get to treat you. We get to treat you to an interview. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a little uh, it's a little different. I'm not. I haven't been a podcast guest very often. You know, most of the, most of the time I'm a host, and it feels different. I will say, yeah. I've been on other people's podcasts, but I've never been a guest on my own podcast. Mm. <laughs> uh, All right, it's like a children's book or something. Yeah. Well, as we go ben, through he this, was a we'll, guest on his own podcast. Well, uh, you, you you wrote up these five things for us, so we'll read them did, to you, yeah. uh, okay. and then maybe you can expound upon them. You want, uh, okay. Christy? You want to read the first one? Yeah, number one, things you learned in in twenty years of ministry is that you're never going to accomplish anything great for God, and that's okay. <laughs> Tell us about what you mean by that and yeah. why you wrote it. Yeah. So i I think one of the things I'm learning somewhat recently, is that some of my motivation for even like getting into ministry or wanting to, I don't know, follow this call, um, not all of it, but some of it, I think, had to do with some of the bad news that operates in my life, that I need to be extraordinary or helpful or useful or significant. I, I need to be, I need to sort of prove myself uh, in order to be welcomed, in order to, to belong, in order to be significant. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a driver for me um, from early on that I wanted to get into ministry, not to just be a pastor, like, you know, not just to be any old pastor, but to be, but to do something sort of unique or to do something great or to do something risky or outside of the box or, you know, that was always sort of, I had this prophetic bent to the way I wanted to approach all of this stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just, I think I've been able to see that um, now as, you know, there was some idolatry uh, in there and, and it was, it came out of a place of probably wounding and weakness in me um, and insecurity uh, in me, and so I think one. I would I would say the reason I said it this way is that I think recently or lately I have begun to settle into an acknowledgement that that's never going to happen, and it's okay if I'm just sort of a normal pastor, a normal mm. <laughs> you know minister person, um, and that I don't like my belonging and my significance are not uh, dependent upon me sort of making my mark on the world. Or something well, like that. This this has been, you know, a big thing as you've gone through ministry, but it, it also sounds to me like maybe uh Roar's writing of the five essential truths um was impactful to your life. Yeah. Can you t- yeah. can you kind of double click on that for us? Yeah. I um I put his uh stuff here in the notes. Um I don't know if you, you guys have heard this, but Roar some of his work with men in particular, but I think these are core truths that um all humans uh, need to embrace at some point in their lives. And they're, they're fairly stark and they sort of, they hit me hard when I first heard these. Um, and I relate them to this, uh, I guess, ministry learning. The five truths are these one life is hard. I think I've known that one for a while <laughs> Two, You are not that important. That's the one that took me a little bit longer to learn. Uh, and I'm still learning three. Your life is not about you. Four, you are not in control. And five, you are going to die. Um, so those those are, yeah, I think those, I think every like terrible thing that has been uh, wrought by human beings uh, can be rooted in somebody resisting one of these truths. Yeah, mm. yeah. So anyway, I'm trying to embrace them and just settle into a life of faithfulness rather than a life of greatness. Yeah. Well, I hear you kind of saying that in the midst of ministry, you're realizing like, I don't need to do something unique or significant Mm -hmm. 
and and believing the lie that kind of before, like I need to do that because that's where my identity is coming from. And now realizing, no, I'm loved and I belong and I matter just because I exist and that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's been, it's been a long, that's a, that's well stated, Christy. I think it's been a long time coming, but I, I can remember like when I planted my first church, um, uh, there was a lot about that that was um, formative for me. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things I had done is I, I'd sort of planted this outside the box church. I didn't, you know, I didn't go with any sort of normal church planting plan, and I'm glad I didn't. But um, but I realized that some of my sense of significance hinged on the success of that church plant, and I remember feeling super stressed out about it a few mm-hmm. years into it. Um. And and there, one of the moments for me that was really important was I, I can distinctly remember where I was. I was in our kitchen um, where I was cleaning up after like a missional community gathering um, and feeling, though, very insecure. There were some uh, other kinds of issues. There's some financial issues. There was a few like um, there was some conflict in the church at the time about various things. So anyway, so I was feeling like I don't I don't know if I have energy for this and I don't know if I can make this work. And I remember like gathering up some stuff to throw it away in the trash and opening up the closet where our trash was. (laughs) And for some reason it was right there that this hit me where I was like, okay, what's the worst thing that I could imagine happening? Mm. And I imagined that the church that I planted was no longer institutionally viable. We had to close the thing down, you know, pack it in. And I had to get a different job you know, doing something else. Um, but then I thought, you know, I'll probably just keep trying to do this discipleship stuff and follow Jesus. Uh, I'll probably just keep trying to do it with whatever time I have and whatever structures allow that. And I was like, that doesn't sound that bad. (laughs) Mm. It doesn't sound that bad. Like the thing that was looming so large for me, the failure of this church plant that I, that I wanted to you know, make my mark on the world. Mm. It was like a little bit of my ego died in that moment. Um, and it was really good. It was really comforting for me. T- and I, you know, was able to, I guess, go forward with some faith where it was like, well, even if this does die, it's okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm still okay. I'll, I'll be okay if my mm. thing doesn't succeed. So anyway, yeah. that's my first learning. Then I remember being a young man, younger man, uh, my memory's fuzzy because I'm so old, so I'm not sure how old I was. But <laughs> I remember reading that book, Don't Waste Your Life. Oh, yeah. John, Johnny Pipes, Jay Pipes. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I remember in, you know, the Passion Conferences and Louis Giglio and like oh, just yeah. this cultural, Christian subculture sort of groundswell of do great things for God, be great, Yeah, go all history out. History makers. Right. We sung that We sung that like once a month. History, Jump on a, I'm going to be a history maker. Jump on a boat and take your coffin yeah. with you and never come home. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that still lives in us. I mean, it, it appeals to mm. those of us who need to achieve, who need to win, who need to mm. prove themselves, who need to make people like them. I mean, success has a way of satiating most of our spiritual pathologies. Mm-hmm. We can slack our our thirst for feeling okay apart from Christ through Christian success. Yeah. My question, though, is how do we know that we're not just valorizing failure? Mm. Like, how do we know we're mm-hmm. not just saying, well, don't try. Everything's going to fail anyway. You know, basically mm-hmm. like right, right. basically like reading cynicism, the book right? of Ecclesiastes, you know, after like taking two <laughs> quaaludes, you know, and you're just like, well, yeah. it all stinks anyway. So how, yeah. how is this not just saying, give up, don't try, we're all going to fail, everybody, let's just fail? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's an important question, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to answer it, I guess, besides... Uh, I guess to sort of register that I've been in that place too. <laughs> yes, yeah. I know what that feels like. You know, I I know the thoughts and the feelings that accompany that kind of attitude and posture. Um, and yeah, I think there is a. So I think for me, anyway, I know I'm not in a good place when I do feel cynical 
um, when I when I do want to quit um, just because things are hard or, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, yeah, screw everything. You know, that, that I know mm-hmm. how that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know I know what sort of steady faithfulness feels like as well. I know what it feels like to let go of the churning anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, that I, that I have to, I have to show the world, show God that I'm worth something. Yeah. So again, that may not be helpful for other people, but I feel like I, I've been in both of those places. And so I feel, um, yeah, I feel both of those things. I, I you know, one other thing I might say about it, um, is that I, I think when I was trying to prove something more than I am now, um, I think there was like, there was a really keen, uh, how do I say this? I had a really, I had a really clear idea about the kinds of things I do and the kinds of things I don't do. Right. And so Hmm. I'm going to prove that I'm not that kind of church planter by doing these things and refusing Mm -hmm. to do these other things, right. That I associate with the old way of doing things. But as I've like grown into this it just ministry thing and life thing, um, I've discovered that there are some of those things that are actually just good practices for anybody, you know? Um, and so fundraising, <laughs> you know, was like something that I was like, that didn't feel like a, like a, um, I don't know, it didn't feel like a radical, awesome, mm. you know, I'm just going to rely on God to put food directly into my mouth, you know, like, or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to fast all the time, you know, like it didn't seem very, uh, cool and sexy to, um, you know what I mean? To, to just fundraise and just learn from people who've done this their whole lives. But I I embraced it. I was like, well, this actually seems like a good idea. And so I'm going to learn how to raise money. I'm gonna learn how to talk to people about money. I'm gonna learn how to think about money in the church Mm. and, you know, and be, yeah circumspect about that. So I think it's like that, those kinds of things. It took some humility for me to go, oh, okay, well, <laughs> teach me. All right. Teach me, you traditional person, how to do something that I don't know how to do. Yeah. Help me. Right. So. It seems like, too, that our our the shaping of what we mean by great doesn't have enough. Uh, the Son of Man mm. will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles and tortured and killed. Right. And it, right. It's not yeah. the way to Jerusalem that we're actually like when we think about greatness, mm-hmm. we don't think about the Via de la Rosa. Yeah. We think about, you know, highway to hell. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, something we think about up and to the right about. instead of to yeah. the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, totally. Well, thanks, Ben. That's that's good. And let's keep moving here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, the yeah, second yeah. thing that you've learned in 20 plus years is your co-pastor is always right. Yeah. Could you but, tell did us? Did that one get in? Insu- <laughs> oh wait, hang on. How That's, did that? <laughs> that I thought it was the co-host. Was <laughs> co-host. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, vulnerable presence is way more powerful than perfect performance. Yes. A lot of peas in there. Could you unpack that for us? Vulnerable <laughs> presence is way more powerful than perfect performance. I I will unpack it. I do also have to admit that I was looking for another word besides vulnerable to make it all peas the whole way through. <laughs> oh. But I decided I decided that might be me trying to produce a perfect performance of yes. this uh, learning. Mm. So anyway, right. so I'll yes. work on that while you're talking and not listen to you. <laughs> Just think about what yep. what we could replace. There's a lot of P words, mm-hmm. thankfully. Um, P's and C words are, are usually easy to come up with. Pro tip for alliterators out there. Um, yeah, so um, I, I was, as I was writing this one down... Um, I think I have always this. This is connected to the first one, right? Where I have wanted to sort of prove myself to be somebody, you know, uh, that's worth something. Mm. Um, and that relates to my desire to to perform well. So I want I want people to be impressed by the things that I say and do. And I, I remembered as I was writing this down, I remembered the first sermon I ever preached. Um, and I I tried. I mean, I. I don't know if you guys remember the first sermon you ever preached, but I tried so hard to get this thing right. I spent so many hours like <laughs> listing everything I knew about God, you know, trying to cram it. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get another chance. I got to make this one count. I got to get all this stuff in here. Oh, and man. so it was, you know, it was 
probably kind of a nightmare um, to listen to. But I, I wanted to prove myself, and um, I tried to cram all this like profound profundity into this sermon. But during my first sermon, I actually broke down crying in front of everybody. And it was, it was I did not expect it. I'm not a crier in front of people. Um, yeah. I'm not a touchy-feely. My, my emotions are not on my sleeve usually. Um, and so it surprised me that I was talking, because I was preaching, I think I was preaching on like how the kingdom is going from loneliness to community or loneliness to family or something like that. Um, and I recognized that I had felt lonely and the context I was in had, mm. had welcomed me and it was mm. deeply meaningful to me um, to look at these people that had welcomed me as this 20-something kid who was probably preaching the, you know, the worst sermon they heard that year, um, but eagerly welcoming this bad sermon. Um, and I just broke down crying in front of them. Um, and it made me vulnerable in front of them. And yes. I, I remember feeling embarrassed by this, deeply yes. embarrassed for that, about that for a long time. But I think it was God's grace for me because um, it was probably the best part of my sermon, I'm sure. <laughs> All the other mm. profound stuff that I, you know, took from some author I read. Like I'm, you know, I went on too long and the, the points probably weren't connected in the way that I uh, wanted them to be. And I probably pontificated. Um, but that one act of vulnerability, I think, uh, shaped me eventually. It was just like this is this is the powerful. This is a powerful way of being with people. Um, to just be be your vulnerable self uh, in front of them, and that there's something actually working. It's not the. It's not about like actions sort of flawlessly performed or a perfect sequence of words that's just going to unlock something for somebody. Yeah. It really is about the quiet work that God does when I dare to be present with my whole heart with other people. And so there's a, there's a weakness in that, right? I'm not, I'm not impressive in those moments. I'm not uh, performing something uh, really profound, but it's through that weakness that God is sort of, I, I let God in. In that sermon, I let God in just a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's one of the things that, you know, and these things, you know, we, we put these in the past tense, that these are things that we, we have learned, but this is one that I'm continuing to learn, obviously, and all of them are. Um, but continuing to learn that my my vulnerable presence is, yeah, it's just way more powerful and helpful than a perfect performance. So. Yeah. Hi, my name is Carol from Fergus, Ontario, Canada. When I think about the years in my GLA cohort, I am filled with fond memories and gratitude. I looked forward to our time together each week. In my second year, although I was the only woman and Canadian and only one of two non-pastors, this group saw how God was working in my life and encouraged me along the way as we processed our Kairos moments together. I was at a point of transition in my life, and having people who were learning the same things and processing with them was incredibly valuable for me. We were all from such different places and contexts, but it didn't matter. We helped each other see the world through the eyes of Jesus. This was a safe and encouraging space to process what I was going through and to equip me to be a leader who noticed the activity of God in my life. I'm so thankful for the work of Gravity Leadership. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. You know, we learn from from Brené Brown, right, that, mm-hmm. that vulnerability breeds intimacy. Yeah. And it's not just true in human relationships. I think it's true spiritually. And yeah. that's kind of what you're talking about is being vulnerable um, yeah. and allowing – creating some space for for God to meet us in that I think really does breed intimacy um and it may cause tears in a sermon but um yeah but man that's powerful because yeah. I think that's what I think that's what the world wants yeah. like I think they really do and mm-hmm. when they can see that like if people sitting in your congregation um they don't want the pastor who's up there who has it all together yeah. and 
um, yeah. a little bow wrapped around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's just pow- more powerful for yeah. realness and rawness and vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of caveats to this, obviously. You know, the v- vulnerability in the pulpit can be weaponized. Sure. Um, yes. You know what I mean? And so it's not like, yeah. right. Yep. It can be, you know, it's not like, you know what, that everybody really liked that. I'm going to try to cry in every sermon now. Um, so I think for me, like sometimes vulnerability in the pulpit or just with people, it's not just in preaching, but it's, you know, with people. Sometimes, you know, when I think about the way that I preach now, I have to preach this Sunday um, and I have a lot going on, right? I'm, I'm leaving for this workshop and we've got to move our church into a new building. And anyway, there's there's just tons going on. And so I I probably don't have as much time to prepare this sermon as I would like. And so sometimes for me, vulnerability is just getting up to just, you know, with two or three hours of sermon prep or one <laughs> or maybe half hour. 20, 20 minutes. We'll see how much time I get. Yeah. Six I mean, minutes. I've, I've put in an hour so far um, and it's Friday morning. But I put in one uh, minute of prep for every two minutes I need to preach. <laughs> yes but anyway sometimes that's it it's just sort of trusting like okay well this might not be all put together i might not say everything i hoped i could have said uh but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna give people 12 minutes of something so yeah sometimes that's vulnerable just to be like this is it this is all i got this is something that i I think i've told the story before on this podcast when i was a a young man uh i was in ministry with somebody who was 15, 18 years older than me. And um, I would, I was still in this like feverishly preparing for everything. Like everything I did publicly was some kind of performance whereby people Mm. would assess my, you know, do you have this for ministry? Yeah. yeah, Do you you have have the chops to do this? Right. So it was like, yeah, yeah, every, every, every public demonstration was a referendum on my leadership. And I noticed that this guy didn't prepare. And I was like, hey, you should prepare more for meetings. I remember this. He goes, <laughs> he goes, Matt, how long did you prepare for this meeting? And I was like, I spent 45 minutes before this meeting taking notes and blah, 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 blah. I was like, how about you? How long did you prepare? And he goes, I've been preparing 48 years for this meeting. <laughs> It's a good impersonation, by the now, way. He was 48 years <laughs> old at the time. And I remember yeah. he made me so, I got so mad at him saying that. But now mm-hmm. I'm, uh, you know, now I'm pushing 48. And I understand what he's saying. And part of it is he understood the importance of being present and not, re- and, and like relaxing and consenting into what God has already done in your life yes. as sufficient for the people yes. you're with. And again, like, you know, you can use this to justify, I just played video games all night, now I'm going to go, now I'm going to go preach and who needs to prepare. But that's not, that's not how that was functioning in that moment. In that moment, he was saying, in that moment, he was saying, I'm bringing everything I have and all of who I am to bear in this moment. Yeah. And it's a discipline of faith to trust that that's sufficient. Yes. And I think that's what you're getting at here. Totally. Yeah. It is what I'm is what I'm trying to get at here is just that there's a, yeah, there's trust, there's trust in the God, in the work that God has already done in my life. Um, and again, trust in God to do something that I may not overtly realize or have planned on intend. to predict. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where it's, it's not, you know, God is not constricted by how I string together words. Um, that there is something that happens beyond my human ability to influence or teach, you know what I mean? Or explain something or mm. lead people, something beyond that that's happening in, in spiritual leadership that I yeah. am learning to trust. All right. This is good. Five things you've learned in ministry. We've mm-hmm. gone through number one, mm-hmm. I'm never going to accomplish anything great for God and that's okay. Two, vulnerability, vulnerable Presence is a way, way, way more powerful than perfect performance. And three, the gospel is unavoidably political. Mm. Yes. Tell us more, friend. Yeah, we could, I mean, we could talk a long time about this one. I'll just say, I think I used to, I used to try to stay above the fray. I used to sort of, it, it felt 
it felt true to me to say that um, you know you shouldn't mix the gospel and politics. You know that that kind of uh, truism, and you know there is there's some some truth to that, right? That um, you don't want like the partisan American politics. You know, I'm, I'm you know the people who uh, have Sundays where they you know celebrate America. I'm not really sure that that's you know a good idea. That's not what I'm saying. Mm. Um, but I used to try to stay above the fray uh, of of politics, which which meant sort of ultimately. I think I realized what this meant was trying not to get pinned down in either the right or the left, like the the American political binary, to put it that way. Um, and I do still think the gospel does this. Actually, the gospel is something other than it's not located on the American left or right. Right? It's not located on that binary. But I realize that when we follow Jesus and believe the gospel, that it does end up bringing us into solidarity with people that when you look at what the church is doing or what I'm doing based on my following of Jesus from through the lens of the American left or right binary, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be accused sometimes of, you know, being a Marxist, for example, or so, or something like that. I'm like, and that to me is something that concerns me less and less. I think I used to, it used to bother me if, if somebody tried to pin me down in one of those other areas. And I, I used to be concerned about saying like, well, no, 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 no. It's about the gospel and it's about this, you know, third way. And it's about, you know, and we could talk a while about that discourse third way, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think uh, I'm, what I'm realizing and what I'm learning um, is that the gospel is political, and as you pursue the politics of the gospel, um, you have to kind of let the chips fall where they, where they may. Um, and it does put you, it gets you in trouble, you know, uh, with the powers that be in various ways. Mm. So anyway, there's, there's a lot to say about it. I don't know if that's clear, but... Yeah. Well, you had a friend, Seth... Richardson, yeah, we, who taught we all know you, Seth. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us how he impacted you yeah, in this so, area. Well, part of part of what I just want to give a shout out to Seth Richardson, uh, mm-hmm. who's who's my friend. He's actually um, we're going to talk more about this, uh, uh, bringing uh, some of what his some of his work into gravity. But um, I think things really clear up for me about like how the gospel is political when you see how power works and how power works on bodies. So when you, when you get uh, clear about where power is located, who has it, how it's being used, and bodies, who gets to say what happens with bodies, people's bodies, then it becomes really clear kind of how the gospel is political and it becomes really clear, um, yeah, what's going on. Because I think... <clears throat> I think the shift for me, one of the ways to talk about the shift for me is that I think in the predominantly, you know, I can say probably in the white church, predominantly issues of justice have oftentimes been abstracted into the same kind of argument that you might have about which flavor of ice cream is best, right? And so I think oftentimes people look at that, they're like, oh, why are we fighting about politics but the, in their mind, they're thinking it's the same thing as a fight about the flavor of ice cream, which, which flavor of ice cream is best. And so we're having this abstract argument about things that don't actually affect our bodies because people with power are not telling, our, telling us what to do with our bodies, right? And so when you come into solidarity with the marginalized, it, things begin to clear up really well. And so Seth Richardson taught me that. Um, there was another, uh, Melissa Flora Blixler has been really helpful. Um, she's an author and pastor, Mennonite pastor, has been really helpful in sort of cl- making these things really crystal clear. Because th- there's this mental trick that uh, I think white Christians especially know how to play. And we, and we do it, I used to do it all the time. Mm. It's easy to do it. It's not nefarious. People aren't being like intentionally wicked when they do this. It's just that everything gets abstracted into a theoretical argument that, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't argue about these things, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't get upset with each other about things, but everything's in the, in the theoretical realm rather than saying, well, actually there are some things that made Jesus upset. And there are some things that are worth being upset about because they involve power and bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. 
Yeah, Ben. So what I'm thinking about here is for many of our listeners, they, not all of them, but many of them grew up in a home that was thoroughly political. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. be a Christian mm-hmm. was to be politically engaged. And so maybe as kids, they had sandwich boards and bullhorns and pictures of, you know, dead babies and telling people they're going to hell. Um, right. right? Or, or right. Um, and so then, so I'm describing in a caricatured form what is typically mm-hmm. referred to as kind of a culture war Christianity. And I th- we've heard right. from a lot of our listeners that that was part of their uh, part of their formation as Christians, and they're trying to get away from that. Yes. So there's a lot of people with a culture war hangover, or even like culture war like baggage, maybe we could say. And mm-hmm. so to say that Christianity is inherently political just triggers all of those awful memories that as they experienced it. So, yeah. um, so then some of the, so I think some people who find themselves in the place that you used to be in are trying to find a way to not be that kind of Christian. Yeah. And now you're telling us we have to be that kind of Christian? <laughs> ben? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could understand how that triggers uh, some of those things. And I, I uh, again, I don't know fully how to uh, help people through that. I think people, yeah, have to process some of that stuff because I do think there is a different way of being political um, that, doesn't just devolve into us versus them kind of uh, culture war tactics. Hmm. There's a way of being political that involves um, less ideology and more solidarity, maybe we could say, Hmm. Um, where I'm not fighting for an idea, but I'm, I'm standing, I'm putting my body, putting my body with marginalized bodies and like seeing what makes sense. Yes. What makes sense if if I'm if if my body is going to be just as much at risk and we can never do this fully like me I I can't fully do this as a white man. Um but if I try to put my body at the sa- in the same place of risk and vulnerability as a marginalized body and then I learn what would help them because my own body is is at least adjacently at risk then I think we know how to be political. Right, and every context is different. So then, so then the Son of Man, having no place to lay his head, mm. uh, preaches and proclaims a kingdom that um, actually creates family and creates abundance and creates a jubilee feast for the people right. that he's not advocating on behalf of, but he is one of. So one yeah. of the differences I hear you saying is that in order for us to be political in the way Jesus is, we have to join and be in solidarity yeah, yeah. with rather than advocate for or against at a distance. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's unless there's solidarity and this, you know, caveat like I am I am a baby at this right now, but it is something that I'm learning. Yeah. Um but but yes, at a distance, it's very, very easy for our advocacy to devolve into just another form of colonialism, um, just another form of coercion. Um, but I think solidarity, as much as possible, bringing our bodies into solidarity with marginalized mm-hmm. bodies, it brings clarity to what it means to be political. Um, yeah. Because as much as possible, we are saying, I am one of, rather than... Look at these poor people. We should help them. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, just an artifact of that, I was talking, and we'll move on to your fourth thing. I was talking to a friend on Facebook the other day, and mm-hmm. I was reminded that, um, you know, in First Corinthians, where, where Paul is talking about uh, how to celebrate the Lord's Supper, First uh, mm-hmm. Corinthians 11, I think it is, and he's like, yeah. you know, you guys get there and you eat all the food, and then there's nothing left to eat, you know? And so you have to right. discern the body when you gather together. Mm-hmm. This is why some of you have fallen sick and have died, is because you're you're eating condemnation on yourself, right? Yeah. Um, the, so this this is a, this is part of the colonial problem, Ben. Is that I think for many many years, I thought, okay, they're not doing the Lord's Supper right, and so God is killing people. <laughs> right. Right. I thought I thought God is there's some sort of spiritual it's a punishment zapping. for breaking a law. There's a punishment for, a for not doing 
Eucharist correctly. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember just it realizing this like a year ago. I'm like, okay, what's happening is wealthy people who don't who aren't day laborers are getting to the gathering early. They're eating all the food. Then the poor people who are laboring all day get there and there's nothing to eat. Mm-hmm. What is in context? What is the reason why some people are getting sick and dying? Because they're starving to death. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of social justice yeah. in the body. Yeah. They're eating and drinking condemnation on themselves because they're stealing food and killing people. Yeah. So it's not it's not the individuals who break the rules that are suffering. It's the it's the individuals who sort of who are eating all the food are actually causing other people to suffer. Yes. But Paul is saying that's you suffering too though. Yes. Cuz you're all one body. Yes. yes. So, and so you is you all. Y'all. Y'all are suffering. Yes. And dying. Yeah. And, and so what you're saying is that uh, if if politics is is how we organize bodies and resources and and property mm-hmm. and 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 humans, then uh, then Paul is in that text and in myriad others is is singularity keenly interested. Yes. In politics, he's he's interested in politics because he's telling the the people who can afford to come early and eat all the food that they they actually lack what they lack is solidarity with their with people who have less people who have to work later what you're lacking is solidarity with them yes. if you stood in solidarity with them you would it would be obvious to you that the political thing to do in the politics of the kingdom would be to wait or just mm-hmm. have a little bit or divide it all up you know yeah. so everybody gets a fair share yes i'm so glad we're talking about this cuz if i'm Real honest, when I read that, I was like, oh, I think Matt's going to have to take this because it's <laughs> bristling me. <laughs> um, but as you guys are talking, I'm realizing part – like I agree, but mm-hmm. part of being able to untangle the past baggage is to be able to have people who you can be vulnerable with and – who are safe to dialogue about this and be like, this is where I'm, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm struggling with. This is like how I'm seeing it and to be able to, to talk about it. It's yes. really good. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you put it on your list and yeah. Um, yeah. And we're I, able to I think that's really, it. that's really important. I guess, Christy, I'm thankful that you said that. I mean, just incidentally, I, I do want our community. I want gravity to be a place where people feel like they can, if they don't, if they're not sure what to think about that, we could talk about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I want, yes. I don't want to give the impression that you need to be in some, you know, place about all this stuff and know all this mm. stuff mm. to be here. Yeah. Like I, I think if if you're interested in learning and growing, and if there are questions that you have about, well, what about this or what, what do you mean this or you know, because I, mm-hmm. I sometimes, you know, I, I realize this all the time. I guess that. I'm never quite as clear in my communication as I hoped I would be. And I can't ever anticipate all the objections or all the context that my words go into. And so it's really helpful to hear back. Here's how that impacted me. Here's how I hear that. And let's talk about that. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's how we, that's how we learn and, and grow. So thanks, yeah. Christy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Number four, soldiering on. Number four, bald is beautiful. Yep, I started shaving my head, and I. I'm you do have back. a good dome, Ben. I just want to say it looks really good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thankful to save money on haircuts. And the subpoint extensions the sub are point. awesome. <laughs> extensions, Chrissy, you do have the best extensions. They're fun. Uh, are they? Are they pink today, or is that just your cord? No, no, it's just my cord. I see. Just my pink cord. I, I know my blonde hair. Blonde hair. Yeah. Uh, Okay, also number four. This is okay. a subpoint yes. under that. Bearing <laughs> witness bearing witness to someone's experience is more helpful than the most profound advice. Yeah. Bearing so witness is, to someone's experience is more helpful than the most profound advice. Yeah. It's this is similar number two about presence and performance, but um I I think I've valued wisdom my whole life. Uh for some reason it's always um, been like a, something that was drilled into me. I don't know if I read Proverbs as a young man and thought, man, this is 
this is where it's at. I got to pursue wisdom. I got to seek wisdom. Um, mm. You know, though it costs you everything, get wisdom. And I don't regret that at all. Um, I think that God has answered that prayer in many ways um, for me. Um, but I think I used to think that the primary purpose of getting wisdom, gaining wisdom, was to be able to share it with others, to have profound thoughts, <laughs> you know, to get quoted. Um, I wanted to have a sort of a, a wise and profound word to say in every situation. Yeah. Um, and I looked, I looked at people who seemed to be unflappable in difficult situations and who seemed to know just the right thing to say to, I don't know, you know, just solve the problem or ease the anxiety or all, you know, to lead in those situations. And they knew just what to say. And I was, I was kind of impressed with these people and I wanted to be one of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not a bad person to be, you know, I, I still, I still want to be somebody who does have a wise word, right? Wisdom is better than foolishness. Um, and so, but what I'm learning, I think, is that even the most profound words of wisdom are useless unless they're accompanied by a listening, seeing, connecting, communing presence. Hmm. So just seeing another's experience, uh, mirroring it back to them, indicating to them that I am with you, I see what you're, I see what you're saying to me, um, that uh, just bearing witness to their experience and saying this matters and I'm, I declare that it matters by just tending to it. It matters mm -hmm. to me what you're going through. Um, I have for many years just undervalued that. Um, I thought, you know, the reason people share their problems with me is so that I can give them a word of wisdom. Fix it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is something, again, I'm still actively learning. But um, that oftentimes, oftentimes the most profound words of wisdom aren't actually needed. That people, people... People discover what they need to discover, um, oftentimes on their own, and oftentimes all they need from me is my presence and my my ears, my eyes, and just reflect back. I see you, I hear you, you matter to me. Thank you for sharing that with me. You know, and you sharing this, uh, what comes to mind is just recently, um, my kids and I were talking about their adoption day. We have two kids that are adopted, mm. and you and Matt were were here actually for that and for that celebration. That. Yeah, crazy, and yeah. um my kids were like, I don't I don't really remember talking to Ben and Matt, <laughs> but I remember them being there. <laughs> and oh, I wow. and I think that that is fitting in with this. Like you do this mm. really well in conversations. Like you do great active listening and like you ask good questions for other people to share. Um where it doesn't feel like you're you're never preaching at me. You're you're just mm asking questions and really allowing, I think, the Lord to do his work in and through me. Um, but I also see this in your actual physical presence and in my life and how you've you've shown that to be true uh, just in being at a very significant event. And although they don't remember the words, mm. um, your presence was, was significant. So yeah. I see this played out in many ways in your life, Ben. Well, that's... That's super encouraging. Thank you, Christy. Yes. I, yeah. I still feel like I'm a baby at this. I'm learning it. So that's encouraging. Yes. Yeah. Um, ben, I, I'm reminded of what James has to say about wisdom and what Paul has mm. to say about wisdom. And I think it fits into what you're describing. We often think it's like this ability to give expert advice, you know, or to right. know exactly right. what to do in any moment. But when mm. James talks about the wisdom that's from above is pure peaceable, gentle, yeah. open to reason, which means willing to yield. It's kind of the opposite mm -hmm. of giving advice, right? Full right, of mercy right. and good work, impartial, no partiality, and genuine, sincere. Yeah. And I think all of that describes much more of what you're describing, like an, yes. attuned, an attuned reflective presence where people feel known and seen and safe and cherished mm -hmm. and yeah. um, empowered versus... Ben will know how to fix my daughter who won't listen to me when I tell her to clean up her bedroom. Yeah, right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the thing that strikes me as you, as you say that is, like, wisdom has been important to me. I've been praying for wisdom my whole life. And, like, this, like, learning to just listen to people <laughs> is wisdom. So it's like, that. it's not two different things. You know, I used to, 
I, I think I used to think wisdom was advice, you know, profound uh-huh. words. And I'm learning that the thing that God has actually done in me and has given me and is giving me is real wisdom, wisdom from above. Yeah. yeah. Pure. It's a peaceable. lifestyle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. It's good. All right. Well, we've okay. gone through four. We got one um, more. Last one. It really is about love. Really is. Um, all I feel about like love. wrong. We. <laughs> <laughs> what about? Honestly, we could talk about sure. this one for like an hour. What about? I mean, this is like I a know. meaty, meaty. Um, but I mean, this goes. This goes back to even if you're familiar with gravity and um, to find your center book. The first axiom that we talk about yeah. really uh, is part of this. So why don't you unpack mm-hmm. this for us? Yeah. Well, the the I mean, in the in our upcoming book, um, we moved this axiom to the front and renamed it. Um, to, to be a bit more explicitly about uh, love. And so God is love, so it's all about love is, is our first axiom in our upcoming book. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this before. I think, Matt, this may have been one of your five things yeah, as well. Yeah, I think it was. Something about love. Um, and so, you know, the New Testament is really clear about this. We, we, I, th- I think we've done a lot of teaching on it, you know, so we maybe don't need to belabor the point. But I, I think... It's just one of the things that's become more and more important to me is that is is revealing and teaching and living into the New Testament's vision of what what like what Jesus means by love, um, because it's all over the place. But we still have so many cultural constructs and inherited visions of what love is like that we still seem to think that something more is needed. Something additional is needed. You know, we have to balance love with truth, for example, or we have to, we have to do something besides love people. We can't just love people. Um, and I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's just a profound mistake uh, to think that we can't just love people, because I think that we can. And actually, love leads the way. Love shows us what to do um, in every situation if we'll allow uh, a bigger vision of love to grab hold of us. So anyway. but, but what about yeah, but I think about, that's true. <laughs> quote scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm preaching, I mean this while we're recording this, um I'm preaching on this this weekend, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, as an example. Um Are you doing a wedding or something? Most of the, <laughs> right, that's that's the implication, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've kind of relegated it to like some nice feelings that two people in love feel for one another and oh yeah, that's 1 Corinthians 13. That's love. That's love. You know, mm-hmm. it's sentimental uh, rather than, I mean, here's this word again, political. Like love is social. Love is political. Mm-hmm. Love is powerful. Um, you know, especially the love um, that we see in Jesus revealed, you know, reveals the love of God for us that Holy Spirit pours out in our hearts that's meant to flow toward one another. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, right? It's not. It's not like Paul's like... Paul's in First Corinthians is not like, and now let me tell you what it's like to be in love. And, you know, but he's saying, no, like, I will show you a, a more excellent way. And he's coming out of this, these passages. You mentioned the, the Eucharist passage earlier, Matt. He's talking about yeah. social solidarity, you know, and then he talks about the gifts of the body. And we are to like be, we're members of one another and we suffer together and we rejoice together. And love is like the capstone of this whole vision of what that means to be the church. And Paul is saying, and he agrees with Jesus and John and, you know, the rest of the New Testament to say like, it really is all about love. Like this is like, these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But I think the church doesn't live like that. And I think it's, it's become more and more important to me to, to like beat this drum, so to speak, and to learn what this looks like in a community and to live into this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say this, Ben, that I think the biggest impediment in my life to taking love seriously and giving it the purview and purchase it wants in my relationships and heart is my need for control and power. Yeah. To determine to determine what other people yeah. want and what other people do. Because I, yeah. I do think that one of the things we've learned is that is that love like an, a fundamental quality of love is that it honors and respects the agency of other people. Mm-hmm. And so love doesn't use coercion as a strategy. Yes. Right. And I think that um, one of the 
one of the illnesses, spiritual sicknesses I've woken up to is my uh, complicity in and um, reliance upon mechanisms of control of other people that keep me in charge, let me do what I want, uh, Mm -hmm. make other people do things according to my preferences that won't offend me. And um, I, I can control people yeah. Or I can love people, but I, I can't do both. Yeah. 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 And I think I think that, that all one of the one of the things that I'm learning to see in my own life as well is all of that the desire for control is is rooted in fear. Right? Yeah. Sure. I'm afraid. Sure, dude. I'm yeah. afraid that I'm not gonna have enough if I if I share with you, oh. right? I'm afraid that I'm not gonna be okay unless I get to do this thing that I really want to do. Um, I'm I'm afraid. Yes. And so th- I mean, I I come back to some a lot of those scriptures about fe- there's no fear in love, love yes. but perfect love drives out fear. And so I think I think like learning to live in this way, it it confronts directly our fear of each other, our fear of death. I think ultimately it's rooted in our fear of death. Yeah. Um, that the the only I mean, which is I don't know, it's profoundly challenging to me. Um, that probably our desire for, for control is rooted in our fear of death. Mm. And to truly be liberated to love is to be liberated from the fear of death. Where we truly actually come to believe that dying is not the worst thing that could happen to me today. And that I'm willing to love even if I die. Nah, that, wow. that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, but that, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Matt gives like a funny comment, and I'm like, my heart's beating through my chest. I'm like, I'm so grateful I get to like be friends together and process this stuff and learn from you. And yeah. I, uh, it, yes, 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 it's really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Ben, um, thank you for sharing these five things with us. I will say yeah. your friend, your friendship uh, over half of these twenty plus years has been instrumental in me being less of a jerk hole. So I appreciate you a lot. Uh, obviously, was it all the was it all the advice? Was it all the good advice? Was, was that what? Was it that what was all the good advice that I had to keep telling you. Sermons. I had to keep telling you I didn't need. You had to keep telling me I don't need you. To I appreciate being I appreciate being your sanctification whipping post. Yes, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm grateful to be friends with you, uh, Matt, and you, Christy, as well. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, if you'd like to hear more from Ben, just listen to our podcast more. Yeah, just listen to the next one. <laughs> I'll probably be on. Uh, and and share with us what you are uh, learning. Um, you know, we have uh, a new way to uh, share with us. If Maybe you're not an email person, but maybe you're driving um, and you want to just leave us a quick uh, sound message. You can do that at gravelleadership.com slash message and just share with us one thing you're learning. Uh, in your life or ministry the last yeah. 20 years. It'd be fun to share those on the podcast. It would be fun. Yeah, we'll collect yeah. them and, and put them up on phone poles around town. <laughs> no, we'll just we'll just share them here, unless you don't want us to, yeah. and then we won't. All right, everybody. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Peace, y'all. Peace. I'll tell you what, Christy, I wasn't sure how that would go, but... <laughs> Ben did all right. <laughs> he did more than all yeah. right. I'm so glad you shared those things. That was that was great. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I feel like these are sort of um, some of these moments are like this is this is I don't know Christy how if this resonates with you, but sometimes when I some of the most compelling conversations I've had in my life have been like when I'm around a campfire away from lots of things and somebody throws out a question and everybody kind of just shares from their heart. And I feel like, um, I felt like that Ben a little bit here that we were, yeah. you know, yeah, all just sitting around a campfire and you were sharing like gather around kids. Here's what I've learned. <laughs> it was really sweet. Yeah. 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 I, I had a good time. I, it, that, it made me think of the same kind of thing, you know, just, um, some of those conversations. Uh, yeah, we don't, I mean, COVID and it's winter time. Uh, here in Indiana mm-hmm. and so don't get a, a a lot of chances right now to have that kind of conversation so I appreciated it as well yeah it's great well we'll have to have you back on <laughs> <laughs>
did it right. Sometime. Sometime this year. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that's it, right? I think so. I think All so. right. Hey, real quick, before we go, um, guys, what's the difference between a rundown Greyhound Depot and a shrimp with breast implants? <laughs> I can think of a lot of differences, but uh, what's no. the difference? The one more? I'd like to talk about is that uh, one is a crusty bus station and the other is a busty crustacean. <laughs> See you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the Start Recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.